The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome to First Bite, our Detroit Lions midweek podcast where we're in the middle of one of the best series of the year, where we break down the Detroit Lions 2022 draft class with a special guest that specializes in the draft pick that we're talking about this week. My name is Jeremy Reisman. I'm the editor-in-chief over at Pride of Detroit. You can find me at Detroit Online. With me as my co-host, as always, for First Bite, senior editor of Pride of Detroit, at underscore, or I'm sorry, at Ryan underscore POD, Ryan Matthews is with us. How are we doing, Ryan? Uh, how dare you underscore me in the wrong spot? Um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, <laughs> um, how are you doing, Jeremy? You doing good? I'm doing great. Uh, we, we, we had OTAs today. I, I feel like we're, we're back in the swing of things. And I'm really excited about this show tonight because uh, we're, we're talking about a draft pick that I feel like is still kind of the unwrapped gift under the Christmas tree here because we haven't seen this player in OTAs. We haven't seen them in rookie minicamp. We barely saw him on the field in 2021. And that's fifth round pick tight end James Mitchell from Virginia Tech. So to help us break down James Mitchell and, and what the lines may have in him. We have Andy Bitter, uh, the, the Virginia Tech beat writer for The Athletic. Andy, thanks for joining us tonight. Well, thanks for having me, guys. Let's uh, let's jump right into it, uh, because, again, like I feel like James Mitchell is just kind of the guy that we don't don't know too much about. Um, so let's let's start from the beginning, uh, which is what I like to do um, with with this college career. So and that's that's with recruiting. So James Mitchell, a local guy, four star recruit. Um, somewhat you know sought after i believe he had a, a a scholarship offer from from georgia so what was the reaction like on campus or around the team when the when virginia tech Hokies nailed him as as a uh, as a recruit well I, I think whenever you get a top 10 guy in state that goes over pretty well with the virginia tech crowd especially since they haven't gotten a lot of those guys mm. in recent years and when they got him that was at a time when you know, that they weren't necessarily doing all that great with top five guys in the state, but they did okay in that six to 10 range. And, and Mitchell was one of those guys. I think he was seventh in the state or something like that. They, the, the ratings fluctuate. So I'm not really sure where he ended up, but uh, he's a guy from Southwest Virginia and Southwest Virginia doesn't produce NFL caliber talents a whole lot of the time, even though it's got some great ones. And you look at, uh, 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 
you know, Heath Miller uh, with the Steelers, uh, Julius Jones, uh, Thomas Jones uh, from Big Stone Gap before James Mitchell came out of there. Um, so, you know, when you get somebody from Southwest Virginia, you keep them in state, you keep them close to home. I think that goes over very well with Hokies fans because they're tired of seeing them go to somewhere like Tennessee, mm-hmm. which is pretty close uh, to that region of the country. Uh, I know James is pretty academically inclined. So I think there were some other schools like Duke looking at him or something like that. So, uh, you know, the fact that they landed him, uh, somebody as versatile as he was, somebody as well-liked in the area as he was, I think it went over very well. So Andy, with, with as sought after as he was, and, and like you just mentioned there too, like, you know, an academically inclined guy, um, why do you think he ultimately chose to stay home and play for Virginia Tech? You know, I can't remember from his uh, recruitment specifically. I think the lure of playing close to home was a pretty big deal to him. And, you okay. know, in, in Big Stone Gap, there's a lot of Virginia Tech fans out there. Uh, I think when he committed, uh, I, I talked to the principal uh, at the, I believe it was the principal of the school at the time. They're like, we had Enter Sandman like all queued up and ready for him to commit. And then if he had gone somewhere else, they had no other plan. So like, he, he picked Duke. They were probably going to play Enter Sandman anyway because there was no other plan for him when he was committing. So I think there was a, a pretty big pull for him to stay close to home, and, and he did it. Uh, well, let, let's jump into him as a person because it sounds like, I mean, Yuri mentioned he's he's a uh, intellectual kind of type of guy. I know he, he made sure he wanted to, to, to grade. I believe he got his degree uh, already at Virginia Tech. Is that right? Yes, I think so. Um, but yeah, let, can, can you tell us more about the, the person that he kind of is on and off the field? You know, is, is he a quiet type? Is he a vocal kind of leader type? Um, what, what have you gotten from his personality um, from your time covering the team? You know, he's very well-spoken kid that uh you know when he was like a freshman he was somebody they would bring into the interview room and he'd be like whoa this guy's pretty good well maybe not as a freshman they have they have rules about whether freshmen can talk here but as soon as he was able to talk to us we're like this guy can uh, you know i don't want to say talking complete sentences but like put together full paragraph thoughts when he's answering questions for the media. Now he didn't already always do that because he, I think he was smart enough not to say anything crazy to the media. He would give pretty you know concise answers. They didn't tell you too much. He was pretty polished in that regard, but you can tell he's a really smart guy, a very personable guy. Uh, somebody who just seemed very mature for his age. Uh, and, and I look at his history and his upbringing with his parents and they were, uh, I think pretty religious people down there. And I'm trying to remember from the stories that I've written with that, but he, he mm-hmm. just seems like a very grounded, well-adjusted kid who got to college and uh, was like that right from the bat, right, right off the bat. It wasn't like there was any sort of uh, maturation process that he needed over time. And maybe, maybe there was that, but it didn't seem like that outwardly. It seemed like he was pretty well put together from the second he got here. And, you know, you talk about his time at, at Virginia Tech, Andy, I, I'm interested did he have the opportunity or was he, was he at all interested in declaring after his junior season? Like what was that something that was like a, will he, won't he, when, when he was at Virginia tech, if he would return for his senior season? Yeah, there was a question about it. And uh, you know, Virginia tech was going through sort of a, a rough time, <laughs> like whether they were going to turn the corner and it was coming off the pandemic years. So everybody's like, well, what are they going to do? It's what, how do you judge this kind of season? Do you go on after, after that being such a difficult season to get through. And I remember him tweeting his decision to come back and it was obviously very well received 
by the Virginia Tech fan base. I, I, I remember asking him what the process was like, and I don't know if he got a, a draft grade back from the NFL. Uh, I know if it's above a certain round, they just say, go back to school. They don't say, like, you're a sixth-round pick or something like that. They just say, go back to school. So I think that was the recommendation for him. And uh, I, I think the poll of finishing up his degree, Now I, I don't know if he did graduate or if he plans to graduate. I, I can't remember what his schedule was. Uh, but, you know, getting through four years like this, uh, you go to the combine and the draft process, you're not necessarily in school during that time. But I, I think if he didn't, uh, he's probably committed to getting that degree if he hasn't gotten it already. But, uh, yeah, I, I just think that whole process off the bat when he got here, I mean, that, it, he was a very focused kid when he got here. So he comes back for the senior season, obviously tears the ACL. But I think before that, you know, he gets named captain of, of the team Um can you, can you tell us about that kind of leadership that he had? Do you, do you know what kind of leader he was in, in those huddles? Again, is he kind of like, is he the rah-rah type or is he more lead by example type? I think he's probably more of the lead by example. I, he's not a guy to me that gets all uh, extremely just like worked up or something mm-hmm. like that when he's playing. I do know that I, I believe he had like a handshake for like every offensive player on the team when they scored a touchdown. Like I seem to remember <laughs> him going to the sideline yeah. and have like a six step handshake with every <laughs> single person. So it just kind of shows you a bit of just, you know, how he related to his teammates and the kind of respect he had on this team. But uh, he's not one that's going to go out there and just get all worked up and everybody's going to feed off that energy. I think he's more about a, a more of a, you know, go about his business type of person. And then people follow that example. Uh, what can you tell us about his nickname, Andy? Uh, the governor? The governor. I, I don't know exactly where that originated. Uh, I can't remember. It was an assistant coach or something like that called him. I, I think it kind of speaks to like uh, how polished he is. I mean, he, he sort of is like a politician <laughs> like that. And that he, he's just, uh, you know, it's sort of a, a magnetic personality and, and people sort of follow what he says and, uh, I don't. It, it might be uh, an early bid for his future gubernatorial sure. uh, attempt here in Virginia. I'm not so sure about that. I know if he were to run for any sort of office in Big Stone Gap, he'd probably win in a landslide because he's he's worshipped down there. People are very, very interested in him, in him as a person down there. So he he does suffer that that ACL injury a, a couple of games into the 2021 20, season. Can you can you talk about the the loss that it was? for Virginia Tech, maybe both as a leader and obviously a, a key piece of that offense? Yeah, it was pretty brutal. And, uh, you know, you go back, and I think it came against, was it Middle Tennessee or Richmond? It was one of those games early in the season. I think it was the second game, so it was yeah. probably Middle Tennessee. Uh, and it was a goal line carry. Mm. And they had this thing where they do a tight end sweep, and he was really successful at that. You look at his career numbers, he had a you know, five, six, seven touchdowns uh, running tight end sweeps it was a really effective play for the Hokies and uh, you know a guy just caught him coming around the edge and took out his knee and they didn't think it was going to be uh, a severe injury at first we asked uh, coach Justin Fuente about it after the game and he said he didn't think it'd be long term hmm. and then apparently the trainer came back later that night and is like eh, we're gonna have to take an MRI of this take a deeper look and then by you know Monday of that week we'd found out that he's out for the year and that's, you know, that's pretty crushing for a team. I mean, that, he was a key piece of this offense. Uh, they didn't have a ton of receiving options who were reliable. Uh, he would split out wide at times. He was just, you know, you could set your watch to him at tight end for how reliable he was at that position. Even though they didn't throw to him a ton, when they did, 
you know that he was probably going to be open. He had a touchdown in that North Carolina game uh, in the opener. So there, there were very high expectations for him. But then, you know, him coming back for this season, you feel bad for a guy like that. Uh, that got injured in that way that, you know, was expecting big things for the season. So, you know, that, that was a big hole in this offense. I think you saw how it affected this team, uh, certainly in the passing game. You know, I think even Justin Fuente said later on, like we, we didn't realize how much we'd miss him as a blocker too. Mm. And you miss him off that edge. And, uh, you know, for a while there, they were just sort of treading water and not getting much of the, in the ground game. And I think that was a, a factor with him not being in there. So, yeah, that just, uh, it just sucked. <laughs> There's no other way to say it. Uh, you know, I, I'm an impartial observer as a reporter, and even I feel bad for him that that happened because you don't like to see that happen to somebody who made the decision to come back and play another season and wanted to sort of put together this this big season before he went pro. Well, I, I think that's the perfect tease um, to get into who he is as a player on the other side of uh, this break, Jeremy. I think you're right. So let's take a break here. We'll come back and dive into James Mitchell as a player, what he can bring to the Detroit Lions and maybe expectations in year one and beyond. As we're here on First Bite with Andy Bitter from the, the Athletics, the beat writer for Virginia Tech Hokies. We'll be right back here on First Bite. And we are back here on First Bite talking all things James Mitchell, Lions fifth-round pick, tight end, with our fantastic guest, Andy Bitter, the the athletic Virginia Tech beat writer. Uh, So let's jump into uh, Mitchell as a player. Um, Let's start. I mean, there's some eye-popping numbers from Mitchell, and I know he only started in 20 games, and I know, um, you know, maybe his best football was left to be played um, that senior season that got cut short. Um, but 18 yards per reception, how, how was he such a big play threat that maybe never got utilized as much as he should have at Virginia tech? Well, I think they schemed a lot of stuff, uh, to get him some of those big gains. I know he had like a, a 70 yard touchdown catch or something like that. Uh, it was like a 60 yard reception against Miami. I think he got caught like inside the five yard line, something like that, but it was like a sort of almost like a tight end wheel route. If I remember it correctly. So, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I don't think he's somebody that he catches it and he's, you know, juking guys down the field or anything like that, but he's got pretty good speed for his size to separate, especially against linebackers. If he can get open in the seam, he's going to get there and, and catch it on the run and, uh, get a pretty big gain on it. So, uh, yeah, pretty, pretty impressive ball skills. I mean, he can catch the ball pretty well. Uh, but yeah, that, that number did stand out the, the average yards to, per catch. And I don't know if it's a function of Virginia tech's offense, that that's just how they threw to the tight ends instead of uh, a bunch of short stuff, because as you can see, he didn't have a ton of career catches when he was with the Hokies, mm-hmm. but, uh, a lot of those catches did go for big yards. So when he was recruited, Andy, um, was he originally thought of as being a wide receiver and then he made the transition to tight end at Virginia Tech? I think it was always going to be tight end with him. When he was in high school, uh, you know, he played uh, like receiver and tight end. But then his senior year, the the quarterback got hurt. Uh, So he stepped in a quarterback, even though. 
you know, I, I don't think he was an exceptional thrower or anything like that, but he was the team leader and the best athlete on the team. And he played in a very small school out there. I think it was a single a size school. Um, and he was just like the best player on the field. <laughs> and that's just yeah. what he was. And it, yeah. it wasn't like, oh man, how are we going to get this guy on the field? We're going to, he's their best player. We're going to have him play quarterback. Well, I think everybody knew quarterback wasn't going to be his position in college. And, you know, at Virginia Tech, this this tight end H back type thing that they have, it it has a lot of responsibilities. And it takes somebody that knows a lot of the offense and can pro- process a lot of information very quickly. It's one of the the, the tougher positions to pick up, pick up, or it was at least on the former staff uh, when Justin Fuente was here. So, uh, yeah, I, I looked at his recruiting profile. I see it had him as a receiver. I think the plan at Virginia Tech was always tight end with him because he got in there and, and it was tight end right from the start. So can, can you talk about just, just real quick about, um, you know, you, you mentioned in the first segment that he, you could set your watch to James Mitchell at tight end. Like, you know, as an inline guy, you know, you could count on him as a blocker and things like that. Where else, you know, you talk about the um, the expanded role being tight end, H-back, like slot receiver. Do they ever put him out wide? Like, I mean, how much did they move him around like a chess piece? They did. They did play him in the slot quite a bit just because they were so short on receivers all the time. And, uh, you know, I think when you split him out wide, he's not necessarily a wide receiver, but he's better than average out there as a slot type guy, uh, he certainly was passable there for Virginia tech and, you know, probably added a little bit to those yards per catch when he's out there in a little bit of space, you know, they handed him the ball quite a bit, as I mentioned around the goal line. Uh, that, that was something that he just had a knack for finding the end zone when they handed the ball off to him. He returned punts one year. I mean, the, the punt return game was so bad at Virginia <laughs> tech that they were looking for anybody back there who could catch it. So they have this 250 pound tight end back there <laughs> returning punts. And he actually did muff one. I think they got it back. I can't remember if they got it back or not. I think they did, but uh, you know, for the most part, he was back there and he was fairly reliable as a guy who caught the ball, but that just kind of shows you the trust that the coaching staff in, had in him to do anything that they asked of him because you know, I mean, how many teams have a, a guy that big returning punts for them? And you know, they, they kind of got in a pinch in terms of quarterback depth at one point and, I think two guys went out and we asked Justin Fuentes, like, who's your emergency quarterback? He's like, well, we haven't told him this yet, but it's James Mitchell <laughs> if it ever gets to that point. So I think there was one game where they were down to like their third or fourth string guy and they didn't have anybody else after that. So had that guy gone down, Mitchell would have been the emergency quarterback. I, I, I don't think they would have expected much. I think there was a game against Clemson too. So it's like, oh man, that would have been <laughs> fun to go into that game. But uh, it, it would have been Mitchell. That just shows you the kind of versatility that he had though. I'm, I'm sensing a theme, Jeremy, of he is just always the next man up. <laughs> <laughs> right. College football is wild, by the way. Like I, no other level of football uh, would they even consider stuff like that, I think. But um, yeah, it, it, it's interesting because I, I think a lot of the conversation around Mitchell is, is as a receiver, right? And I think part of it is the, the, the eye-popping stats, the 18 yards per catch. Um, but the Lions obviously already have a pretty strong pass-catching tight end in, in TJ Hawkinson. So I guess you know, I, I feel like Mitchell's probably headed to more a more balanced role, and I don't think enough people talk about his blocking because, you know, my my first deep dive in him in the film, that actually kind of stood out to more a little bit more than his receiving. So, Andy, I was wondering if maybe you could kind of give a scouting report as, as to his skills as a blocker. 
Well, I will uh, tell you off the top, I am not an X's and O's film guy. Okay, uh, fair nor enough. do I pretend to be one. <laughs> uh, all I know is that it, it seemed like he was a good enough blocker. Mm-hmm. And when 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 he got hurt, I do remember Justin Fuente telling us, man, we really miss his blocking mm. on the edge of that line. That is a, a big hole in this offense, something that's missed. I think they thought when it happened, they had some guys that were going to be passable there. And perhaps they were, but they weren't as good as James was. Uh, so, you know, that's probably a, all I can uh, lend in terms of what kind of blocker is. He's certainly sure. willing. It's not like he's a, a sieve out there. That's half the battle, on right? The, on the end of the line. Right. And, uh, you know, judging on how he approaches anything, I would think that if he put his mind to it, he could be whatever kind of blocker he wanted to be because that's just kind of the player he is. Yeah. So speaking of that mentality that he has of, you know, being able to set his mind to something and do it, let's talk about like year one expectations for James Mitchell. You know, Jeremy mentioned the Lions have a tight end one. They have TJ Hawkinson. Do you think that, you know, as long as he's ready physically from the ACL, and I guess that remains to be seen, um, is he somebody, Andy, that you think could immediately step in and fill a role as a tight end to like, is he strong enough as a blocker? Is he, you know, is he heady enough as a, as a tight end? And, you know, his time, like you said, at Virginia Tech, all the things he did with the H-back and stuff like that. Do you think that he can seamlessly make that transition into, into year one as an NFL rookie? Yeah, I, I think he's got, you know, that mental ability to do that. He can wear a lot of hats. Seems like he can uh, pick up stuff quickly. I remember in the spring before his senior season, and we, or maybe, no, it might not have been spring, it might have been August. Uh, before his his last season here and I saw him up close in uh, either training camp in the spring I can't remember which one it was but he looked noticeably bigger Hmm. like I saw him and I go wow this guy looks NFL size like he looks like a future NFL type guy and and normally I don't notice that kind of stuff but it just kind of popped out to me like this guy he's put a lot of time in and becoming you know adding a little bit of mass to his frame so uh, yeah, that, I, I think the question with him, it comes down to his knee and when's it, when's it going to feel healthy? And I'm sure they don't want to rush anything because you never want to rush that. But, you know, by the time the NFL season starts, that'll be about a year out from the ACL tear. And, uh, you know, you get all sorts of recovery times on ACL tears. Right. There's, there's more severe ones and less severe ones. So I don't really know how he's going to come off of that or how quickly he'll feel like himself in terms of cutting and running and things like that. But I think if he is healthy, uh, you know, this could be kind of a steal of a pick because I, I think if he has, if he has a healthy final season at Virginia tech, I don't know if he's going in the fifth round. Right. I feel like, you know, he was never going to put up crazy numbers here because that just wasn't the offense. They weren't going to throw it to the tight end 80 times in a season or anything like that, but he would have done a lot better and maybe caught a lot more eyes than what he did and have fewer question marks about him uh, with the knee injury. So, uh, you know, I saw when Mitchell went off the board, I'm like, yeah, I thought he could have gone higher if he was healthy. So I, I think the lions are probably in pretty good shape with this guy. What one of those questions that I think still are left to be answered is is kind of like what kind of an athlete the Lions have in him because obviously he couldn't do most of the athletic testing uh, at the combine and I, I guess you know a lot of people like to just kind of rely on those athletic testings to to judge a person how fast they are how agile they are do you kind of have a, an overall sense of you know obviously this guy is an, is a, a burner he's not going to outrun safeties and things like that but. What I guess what are his are his limitations physically, and what are things that he excels at physically? You know, like you mentioned, he's not just this blazing speed guy. He's not going to run by you, but he's fast enough 
mm-hmm. and he gets open and he gets separation. He's got a good combination of, of size and speed. I don't think there's any part of his game that really is deficient. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like I mentioned before, he's, he's nimble enough with the ball in his hands to, to run it near the goal line. He's got a, that knack uh, for getting in the end zone around there. So, you know, I, I think it's a pretty good skill set. You combine that with the, the mental side of things. I, th- I just think he's a really solid player all around he's, he's not one that you're like oh man this is a big hole in his game i, I just don't know if that exists necessarily kind of a, a jack of all trades kind of guy yeah 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 so the the question that i had the last question that i have andy is um in dane brugler uh his awesome draft guide the beast he mentions about james mitchell that he's the kind of guy that coaches go out of their way to talk about and the lions are clearly on this they're they're on this rebuild, right. With, with Dan Campbell. And um, it's really a a culture thing first and foremost. So a lot of the players that the lions drafted seem to be these leaders, team captains and and guys who are culture fits. What about James Mitchell? Seems like he's a culture fit for a football team. Well, I'll go back to a story I wrote about him in 2019 before his big breakout season at Virginia tech. And I talked to, like I said, I believe it was the principal uh, at his high school. Uh, Union High and Big Stone Gap. And Big Stone Gap's like 5,000 people. So if you're a football star out there, you're like a star. <laughs> like you were a big deal yeah. when you're out there. Uh, and he played football games and they would build in like an extra hour to his post game routine because they knew that after the game, there would be a line of people waiting for his <laughs> autograph. And James good guy that he is would sign all of those autographs. Like it's not like he's like, not today guys. I, I'm not feeling up to it. Like he would just like sign them kids and adults. I mean, there's just all sorts of people that are waiting for his autograph and he would dutifully do that kind of thing. So I think that gives you a little bit of an idea of the type of person he is and how connected he is with people that are out there. Uh, and I think that's, that's played well in his entire career at Virginia tech. He was a fan favorite here. I think a lot of people, uh, really enjoyed him. And I, I don't see why that would change in the NFL. I think he's going to be that same sort of down to earth guy. And, and that's something that I'm sure football coaches love. That's, that's a great off the field story. I want to, I want to see if I can pull an on the field story out of you um, in terms of maybe just a moment on the field that kind of encapsulates the kind of player that he is in terms of the weapon that he can be. So is there, is there one play or one game that maybe Lions fans can go back and check in on and be like, wow, that, that is who the Lions are getting. That's who he could be in the NFL. Man, you gave me the questions ahead of time and I meant to go back and find a specific (laughs) game like that. And I don't know if I have one off the top of my head. I remember the UNC game uh, during the COVID year in 20. 20 mm-hmm. uh he just had a huge game in that one he was catching balls over the middle and down the field and just seems like whenever they threw to him he was getting 25 yards i, I think he went over 100 yards in that game that was one that was you know unc didn't have a great defense in that game virginia tech had a worse one that was even more ravaged by covid so they couldn't stop anyway buddy that was a really high scoring game but uh, if you want to see him sort of in an, a wide open offense, that was one where the Hokies had to throw the ball a lot in the second half. And Mitchell was a very featured player uh, in that one. Uh, that Miami game in 2019, I can't remember what he had yardage wise. I think he had a pretty big receiving game. Dalton Keene, another tight end, had three touchdowns in that game. So I don't know if, if Mitchell got the end zone 
in that game or not. But that was one where, uh, as I mentioned before, they, they ran sort of this wheel route play for him to get open and he caught it on the run. I think they caught him inside the five yard line. Uh, but that kind of shows sort of, you know, his range and his speed in the open field. Uh, so that was one. And, uh, you know, if you're looking for a game from his, his senior season, the, the touchdown he caught against UNC in the opener was sort of almost like a backyard play. Like it, it broke down uh, in the background. Braxton Burmeister, the quarterback, kind of rolls out to his right and then just rifles it to an area where I believe afterwards he's like, there were two guys there. I was sure one of them was going to catch it. He, he rifled this thing and, and Mitchell goes up high to just snag it out of the air. Uh, a pretty impressive catch by him. And, you know, a little disappointing that that was about all we got to see of him last year because he got hurt in the next game. So uh, off the top of my head, and I should have done more research. I apologize for that. But that, those are a couple oh, of moments that stick out in my mind uh, about his time here at Virginia Tech. Yeah, no, that, that's that's plenty because I, I think one kind of common thing we, we've heard is whether he's running the ball or catching the ball, he can be a bit of a, a red zone threat at, at the next level. Yeah, go back and, and watch, like there were a ton of games where he got goal line carries. It was one of the most effective plays that the Hokies had, which is why all these people are like, what are you giving him the ball around the goal line for? It's like because he was great at it. Right. Because was, that, was, was that because they didn't have like a goal line back and he they, was just like, hey, we should put the ball in this guy's hands? They really, for a while, they struggled quite a bit at their goal line running. They didn't have any big guys that could move a pile like that or, or in, until Khalil Herbert in 2020 they just didn't really have anybody like that and mitchell was just so fat like i don't know if other teams didn't scout it or didn't know it was coming because they get down there and everybody in the press box is like here comes a tight end sweep they scored score touchdown it was like i think one year it was like six carries and five touchdowns for it in the year five and four something like that i mean he had a very good touchdown to carry uh, uh, ratio when he was down there, it was, it was almost automatic. So, uh, th that's just something to watch. Just kind of show his ability down there. If, if there's someone that might dig that up and, and use it, I feel like it's the line's new offensive coordinator, Ben Johnson, but, uh, but let, let's call it that, uh, Andy, uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, I want to give you a moment here to kind of plug your stuff. Maybe if there's anything you remember, uh, that, that you wrote about James Mitchell, that Lions fans would be interested where they can read it, where they can find you all that good stuff. Well, you can follow me on Andy Bitter VT, my Twitter account. Uh, all my stuff is on theathletic.com. Uh, I did write a story, James Mitchell, in uh, 2019, April of 2019. That was before his uh, sort of breakout season. Uh, headline, a small town, big star. That could be the case for Virginia Tech tight end James Mitchell. I've got to say that one aged pretty well. Sometimes you write about those guys early in their careers. You look yeah. at it later, like, man, that just did not pan out. This one panned out. Yeah. Uh, so they, so I feel good about promoting that one because it makes me look somewhat smart uh, for, for writing about that at the time. There's there's also an article right before the 2021 season. It's kind of heartbreaking to, to read in, in retrospect, but you talk about how big of a deal it was that, that he returned for the 2021 yeah. season and talked about maybe how, you know, it could be such a, a, a big money season for him. He could, he could jump high in the draft. And unfortunately none of that played out, but I think it speaks to how important he was to that Virginia tech offense that didn't really take off in 2021 because of the injury. Yeah. I'm sure they would have loved to have had him. I'm sure uh, yeah. Justin Fuente who got fired last season when they went six and six uh, would have loved to have had that uh, arrow in the quiver there to, you know, of his offense. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, I think they ended up finishing second to last in the, in the conference and points per game. So cer certainly seems like they missed them. 
Yes, yes, definitely. All right. Well, that's it for this episode. Again, thank you to Andy Bitter for joining us. Uh, thank you all for listening. We are half, Ryan, we are already halfway through this series. Can you believe it? I, I can't believe I have nine days of school left. That's all I care about. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> all right. Well, we will be back next week. Who do we got? It, it's probably Kirby Joseph week, right? It is. It's Kirby Joseph week. So we will have a full podcast devoted to him next week. But until next time, thank you for joining us. And I mean this quite a bit this week. It's chaos. Be kind. <laughs>